Snuff Production. Today I chat with a hype artist who recently launched the Hype Handbook, packed with stories, and I quote, ready for this, of obscure crackpots who got millions of people to buy into their ideas, along with unknowns, freaks and weirdos who garnered around-the-clock media attention without spending any money, end quote. It's an overly hyped-up episode 555 of the 12-year-old, award-winning, very hyped-up, Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show Where successful small business owners share their souls To take your marketing straight to the lead Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of Look At Me Marketing I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas that help businesses just like yours grow. You, so much more importantly, well, you're a motivated business owner ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that is exactly why this podcast exists. You are in the right place. As per usual, team, There's marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. There is some absolutely fantastic discussion and support going on this week in the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe, which is our free Facebook group. Tribester Bridget has asked and got a whole lot of ideas for a new tagline for her business, Bernie Tribester Bernie shares his Loon Croissantery customer experience, which is absolutely fantastic. Tribester George gives away his content scheduler for free, and boy, oh boy, he put some work into that. And, (laughs) excuse the French, and to quote Tribester Bob, Bob says, Jesus, this group kicks ass. I've learned nearly as much from you all as I have from Timbo's podcast. I hate to be the guy to piss in everyone's Cheerios, but I'd pay to stay in this group if they started charging us. <laughs> Good on you, Bob. Well, you know, the group is made possible uh, by just some fantastic, 1,300 actually right now, fantastic motivated business owners just like you. Uh, if you haven't joined and you do want to surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you to grow your beautiful business, head over to Facebook and just search for the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe, or I'll put a link over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 555. So a big thank you to past guest Jamie Mustard, author of The Iconist, great book, for introducing me to today's guest, Michael F. Shine. Now, Michael is a self-confessed hype artist, owner of the New York hype-based marketing agency Microfame Media, and most importantly, and this is what drew my attention, he's the author of the Hype Handbook, which he's just released. And how's this for a subhead or a, a tagline for the handbook? 12 indispensable success secrets from the world's greatest propagandists, self promoters, cult leaders, mischief makers, and boundary breakers. Who doesn't want to read that book? I have read it and it is absolutely fantastic. Now, without hyping things up too much, I've got to say that Michael's extensive research into hype marketing pretty much places him at the top of the mountain when it comes to explaining what hype is, how it works, and how it wields power for the greater good. If you have negative connotations of hype, just push those limiting beliefs aside for the time of this interview. Sit back with a calming chamomile tea as hype artist Michael walks us through his 12 proven strategies for moving minds, grabbing attention and generating meaningful outcomes for that precious business of yours, including why you need to tap into people's outrage why you need to organise your own secret society, how to create an atmosphere of curiosity and intrigue, and so much more. I started off by asking Michael to explain how becoming a professional hype artist involved pissing off one marketing guru in Gary Vaynerchuk. It's funny, is, is your audience, I, I'm, I'm taking it that your audience all knows who Gary Vaynerchuk is, because depending on the audience I speak to, for some groups, he's like Elvis, and for others, they have no idea who he is. 
And the answer to that would be there would have, there'd be a mix. Suffice to say, we, I'll let, I'll, what you give <coughs> you explain who he is in one line. Go on. He's really one of the predominant internet gurus out there. You know, he he started out with a company called Wine Library TV, which and Wine Library, which by the way, I think was and is a fantastic company. I thought what he did with that company was brilliant, and and um, I, I have a lot of respect for him, if if for nothing else, for that company, but. When I was, um, you know, I, I left a corporate job to become a freelance copywriter because I had always wanted to be a writer. I fell into a corporate job and I essentially, you know, figured because I was a good writer, this is a way I could have gotten out of my corporate job. And, and because I was good, the business would fall in my lap. And that didn't happen at all. I mean, I, I had a year's worth of savings. I burned through the whole thing. I was, you know, terrified. I, I was trying to market myself. I had no success at all. And then um, I had talked myself into having a column writing for Inc. Magazine. And at the time, Gary Vaynerchuk, who was this huge internet guru, even then, 10 years ago, had this message where he would get up on stage and he would relentlessly talk about to his young fans about how it was important important to hustle around the clock and and not just hustle like working hard, but like to be well known on social media, you needed to get up at three in the morning. If you had to go to the bathroom at three and take your phone with you and tweet, like it was like relentless backbreaking social media absorption. And, and his young fans ate this up and something didn't sit right to me, especially because I've always had a very systematic approach to creating content and writing and that sort of thing. And so I wrote an article called why Gary Vaynerchuk was is flat out wrong. And I was very respectful. I mean, I, I didn't troll him. I didn't insult him. I, I talked about how he was a good business person. But I also talked about how his message, uh, if you really wanted to be successful, follow, don't follow what he's preaching because he preaches that hard work message the same way cult leaders get you to work 60 hours around the clock because it bonds them to you. He's preaching that because it helps him follow what he does. And he didn't like that at all. So, so that night he recorded a message calling me out by name um, and getting very, very agitated. And I was scared to death because he's a powerful <laughs> guy. And it's kind of like if you come at the king, you best not miss. And I, I came at the king yeah. and I was like, my career's over. But it's funny that I, I started gaining all of these followers and all of his fans were just killing me. But before I knew it, I had all of these new fans and followers. And it was, it was in many ways, the, the start of my career. It was when I went from just being a, a freelance copywriter to having a real following and eventually turning that into an agency. And, you know, I, I've dissected that since. And it turns out, you know, people like to form tribes around things that they're against. So Gary is a very confrontational guy and his young fans rally around him. But what I've realized were there were all these people who didn't agree with his point of view, but they didn't have a leader. They didn't have anybody to coalesce around. So they felt like they were in the wilderness. And when I took that bold stand, it was, it was they were kind of like, it was a little like the emperor's new, new clothes, not calling Gary a fraud, but it was this idea like, wow, someone is saying what I've always sort of thought might be true. And not only did it kind of launch my career, it, it it also was just a huge lesson. It kicked off my whole interest in this thing I call hype. Amazing story. And what a great story. Did you ever actually reach out and thank Gary for his abuse? I, I should say, you know, when he recorded that video about <laughs> me, he didn't abuse me at first. He said, Mike Shine, you know, he was very complimentary. Yeah, yeah. He's actually an okay guy. And then he went off and about, you know, how yeah, I didn't yeah. know what I was talking about. yeah. You know, no, but it, it's funny. I, That's a bit I, in line with the title of his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. <laughs> yeah, very funny. That's very true. I didn't think about that. That's really funny. Um, no, but but it, but it was very clear to me that to him, business is really a game and there's no personal feelings because I invited him to one of our clients' um, podcasts years later. You know, we, we do all kinds of content for clients and one of our clients... Uh, we came up with the concept for a podcast. And when, when that happened, um, I personally invited him and he came on the show. So he, awesome. I don't, I don't think he felt there was any, no, it was no harm, no foul, but I think it got under his skin at the time. But you're, we all wanted his, you, those New Yorker types, you know, you're just outside of New York. He's in New York, isn't he? He's just, you know, you, you give as good as you give as good as you get. Basically, I'm basically in New York, you know, our office is outside yeah. New York, but all the action is in New York. So I'm, you know, I, 
It's funny. Um, my very first team member employee before he came to us, uh, he's not with us anymore either, but before he came to us, his business partner was this guy named David Rock. They started a, a, a podcast together. And I remember this guy, um, David Rock was like, I love Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm going to see if I can get a job net there. And now his name is D Rock. He's, um, He's famous in his own right. He's Gary's videographer. He follows him all over oh, the place. I love so, it. Yeah. I love it. So everyone so knows that, each other, I think, in that scene a little bit. Yeah. So, Mike, that that launched, finally launched your career into what you're doing now and led you to write the Hype Hand book, which we're going to come to shortly. Your big learning there, or at least one learning, which was quite interesting, is you say people form tribes around things they're against, and you started a tribe around something that people were against. Any other big learnings from that kind of interaction with Gary in that moment in time? I alluded to this already, but it really became clear to me that there are all of these, you might call them gurus, you might call them thought leaders, whatever they are. And the biggest ones are dispensing advice as, as what they're selling. And they do a very good job at getting hordes of people really worked up and dedicated to them and buying their advice, whether they're literally buying it or they're buying into it. And and what I realized was how much of a grain of salt you need to take that. I, I call those people hype artists. And as you'll learn, or the listeners will learn through this conversation, I don't consider hype positive or negative. It's just activities that get large numbers of people emotional to get them to take an action. So these hype artists, what I realized is everything they do is designed to get a reaction. They're in business to to make money, typically, and sell their products, sometimes good products. But when they get up on stage and give advice, the way they give that advice is designed to get you emotional, to get you to buy their stuff. So what I, what I say is, study what they actually do. So if Tony Robbins is up on stage telling you exactly how you should live your life, take what you want out of that, but also realize that his background was quite literally a pitch man. He is not a psychologist. He is not a, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, which he bases his stuff on and which he teaches has been, you know, frankly debunked by, by not. So you can accept all of that. But the one thing you can't deny is that Tony Robbins through what he actually does, not what he preaches, makes millions and millions of dollars. So if Tony Robbins is bombarding you with lights and sounds, figure out why he does that. He doesn't teach bombarding people with mm. lights and sounds. He teaches, I don't know, other kinds of positive thinking things and, and whatever, and that's fine. But why is he bombarding people with lights and sounds? Study that, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, great. Great. Well, great. That's great. Clearly, that's what you've done with the Hype Handbook, where you've gone and identified hype artists, hype machines, and gone, okay, well, there is the message that we are hearing, that they are looking us in the eyes and telling us, and then behind that, there is the process, the strategy in which they actually deliver that. And that's what we as marketers and business owners should be particularly interested in. Fortunately, we just read your book and get the answers as opposed to have to having <laughs> to study it themselves. Yeah. So great definition of hype, um, which is activities that get a reaction from a large number of people. They get people emotional so that they'll take an action. Great. Okay. Yeah. They get a an emotional reaction. When I first, when I hear the word hype, and I know you've got a point of view on this in your book, but it feels negative and it feels shallow. You know, hype is like, you know, I've, uh, yeah, like, and, and from a marketing point of view, I guess us marketers can be, you know, viewed as that as well. You know, there's just, there's not a depth to what a lot of marketing messages are saying. So you say you, hype is neither negative nor positive. What, what is it? So my definition of hype is neither negative or positive. So, so I should say, I mean, there's a little bit of, uh, of fun in my choice of, of the word hype. You know, to, to use an example, um, the word queer, right, used to be a completely negative word. It meant weird. And people called gay people queer to insult them. And so the gay community decided to take that word back. Now, I'm not comparing what I do to that extremely intense struggle, but there's a certain power that comes from taking a word that's typically used in a negative connotation and repurposing that word. So, but I'm not the first person to do this. You know, hype typically means hyperbole, blowing a lot of smoke around something that isn't yeah. inherently good. 
However, in the world of hip hop, that is not true. So there's always been a figure in hip hop called the hype man. So hip hop is from the South Bronx. It was the poorest neighborhood in, in America. I think it still is. And they created this great art form, but forget about the art form. There's billionaires in hip hop now, right? So Jay-Z. there was always this idea of hype. Yeah, Jay-Z. So there was always, this, and, and maybe Kanye now, there was always this idea of hype that, you know, we need to generate a lot of energy. There was even a hype man in a rap group, right? Generate energy, get on the streets, make it happen, do whatever you need to do. And I think that's a valuable um, paradigm because it's really easy when you're in the mainstream of the culture, you know, when you got an MBA and and MBAs can be very valuable, but to say, I'm going to do typical marketing and learn marketing and learn, you know, PP, the, 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 the P's and product and price and whatever, and, you know, really follow the, the path. But if you're living on the streets of the South Bronx, it's, you know, I, I don't have a direct route to get myself known. So I'm going to do whatever I need to do, whether that's putting the Wu-Tang symbol at eye level for everyone to see or whatever that is all over yeah, the right. street. So I thought that was a really great paradigm because with the world changing as it is so quickly right now, especially with the pandemic, especially with the breakdown of old institutions, mm-hmm. We're all sort of outsiders now. I mean, there are industries that didn't exist three years ago. I mean, you're a podcaster. We were talking before this started. You've been a podcaster for 12 years. It was almost as if you were telling me you started your company in 1875, right? I mean, that's (laughs) That's a lifetime. So having a hype mindset, which is within ethical bounds, doing whatever works based on the reality of how the world is and how human beings react in real life, not based on how we wish it were. It's almost essential now. And I'd rather the good guys have that skill than, 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 than the bad guys who already seem to get it. So Mike, what types of businesses is the creation of hype as a way of getting noticed most relevant to, or is it, is it ideal for everyone? I'm going to answer this question in a roundabout way because when when I when I started the agency, when I went from being a copywriter to having an agency, and it was based on studying these concepts because that's what I did for myself as a, as a writer. I was like so fired up. I, I said to myself, anyone can use this. So I went to any kind of company, and I had this pivotal experience. I was sitting in. A, a meeting with a very old school company. They did, I don't even remember now, some kind of real estate financial product or something. And I, I gave them my whole spiel and the owner of the company sat back in his chair and he said, I told, I completely see why this works, but let me ask you a question. I've been using direct mail for the last 40 years and it works wonderfully. Why should I switch to this thing? And I was like, you know what? You're right. You shouldn't. So the, the the strategies can work for any kind of business, and they do. You know, there are companies like Basecamp, which is a project management tool that I use in the book, Spartan Race. But the kinds of people and companies who know they need this and don't even know they know they need this are people and companies selling ideas. If you're a consultant or a high-end business coach or something like that, you know that your success is a direct function of how well you're known as the dominant authority in your niche. Like how many times have you talked to idea-driven business people where they're not really selling a product or selling concepts where they say, you know, my conceptual framework is even better than plug in the name, Simon Sinek, uh, Dale Carnegie, whatever, but I just don't know how to turn myself into that figure that generates that kind of energy. So, so I guess what I would say is this is deep human psychology. This is about generating emotion around what people want and desire. So that can work for anyone. Mm-hmm. I would say the people who take to it more easily are the people who are selling ideas rather than, I don't know, sheet metal and ball bearings. Can I just challenge you on that? Because um, there's been a couple of guests that I've had on this podcast over the years, both of which were not selling, well, everything's an idea, but they weren't service-based businesses. They were product-based businesses. Now, one is Arthur Greeno. He's a franchisee, lead franchisee for Chick-fil-A. 
in in the United uh-huh. States. Arthur's marketing strategy's primary marketing strategy was to break Guinness Book of World Records and get publicity, attention, media coverage as a result. So he's known for creating the biggest iced tea out front of one of his restaurants. That's hype. We also have had Tom Dixon from Willet Blend fame. So he he has a company called Blend Tech. And he believes in his blenders so much that he creates these viral videos in which that he blends iPhones and hockey pucks and PS4s. I, I've seen those. Those are right. great. Yeah, that's hype as well. He's a product-based business, so um, help me a bit understand a bit more. No, I, I, we're saying the same thing. So I agree. I mean, Mark Echo does it for Echo Clothing. Um, you know, Supreme does it. It's a wonderful way to market yourself for in any field because. In some ways, it's it's what marketing should be. Basically, hype is this idea that human beings are designed, we're very social animals, and we behave differently in groups than we do as individuals. And you can get people worked up into a frenzy and get them to do what you want them to do. So that can work for anything, right? All I was saying is that it's tougher to get a lot of hardcore goods, you know, people who sell goods to understand it because they're very locked into the old, you know, it's about supply chain. It's about advertising. I would say that idea driven businesses are just a little bit ahead in that regard. I would say that product based businesses, if they want to give themselves an advantage, should should get on the hype train, though. I I wonder whether the question I asked you earlier was the wrong question. I asked you is hype best suited to any particular type of business or ind- industry? I wonder whether the better question is, is it better suited to a particular type of business owner? Because okay, as, as yeah. a strategy, it's a pretty scary strategy. Um, it actually requires self-promotion. It requires sticking your head above the trench. It requires you to turn the spotlight up and on yourself in a very big way, does hype. So I wonder, does it, does this marketing strategy that you're about to explain, you're about to give us the 12 ways of implementing hype into your business, is it better suited to the um, extroverted business owner? Yes and no. And no. I'm going to say no and no. Forget about yes and no. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> Good. I, I would say that um, I'm not particularly extroverted. I'm gregarious, you know, but I would much rather sit with a book and think than go out and, you know, schmooze and that sort of thing. And I would say that there's a certain type of person who comes to it more naturally. And that's the loud, flamboyant person, right? So I I use examples in the book, like Andy Warhol, David Bowie, these kind of people who are very larger than life. But then I conspicuously give examples that are completely the opposite of that. So I used Basecamp a couple of times. That's a project management software, right? And and the owners are, one of them is, is a coder. And what I'm trying to really make the case in the book is that human beings, and I've said this a few times, but I'll say it again in context, our brains are not designed to see the world accurately. They're designed to see the world in a way that got us to survive and spread our genes. So we don't process information accurately. We process it efficiently. We're also very social. We, we, we um, want transcendence. We're, we're very tribal, you know, all of these things. And so you can either accept the world the way it is or pretend it's not that way. And a lot of times people in show business and also people with antisocial personality disorder, people who don't let their emotions get in the way, people who are narcissists and have grandiosity as a driver, they get this stuff naturally because they're not held back by the same things the rest of us are. However, that doesn't mean that it's not able to be applied ethically. And it doesn't mean that it's not applicable to the most brass tacks of businesses. It's just that those people don't come to it as naturally. Yeah. Okay. I'm really keen for as many of my listeners as possible to go and implement some kind of hype marketing strategy in their business. In order to do that, like everything in marketing, it's about mindset. And I just want to get rid of any limiting beliefs uh, around this so that they can move forward with these 12 strategies you're about to share with them. Are there any other limiting beliefs besides you need to embrace self-promotion that we need to cover in order for this, these ideas to, to land? 
Yeah, I mean, one limiting belief is to build on what we said before. It's this idea that you need to be this kind of carnival huckster to take advantage of this stuff and that otherwise you can't avail yourself, yeah, of of, of these um, deep psychological principles. So so something I talk about a lot in the book is is about the importance of self-regulation. So, you know, back to this idea of antisocial personality disorder. There's a bucket of personality disorders called antisocial personality disorder, which includes, you know, narcissism, extreme narcissism and psychopathy and things like that. And, and they've done laboratory experiments with these people where they put them in artificially induced, socially stressful situations next to people who don't have this, these disorders. And those people, their heart rate doesn't even go up where most of us does. And as a result, those kinds of people, because they're so detached from from normal human empathy and things like that, they look at other human beings as chess pieces almost. And I'm not saying anyone should aspire to that, but it's why there's a very high proportion of people who are able to play these games that we're going to talk about. Now, does that mean we shouldn't use them? No, it doesn't. We look at those people and we say, I don't want to be like them, right? But again, that this is a little bit complicated, but it's not so much that the strategies are immoral. It's that immoral people take to them more easily. So then what do we do? How do we get around that? The trick is to keep your humanity, but engage in activities that will let you not let your emotions get in the way. So if you engage in whatever your pick your poison, therapy, meditation, exercise, um, self-talk, whatever that is, if you can learn to think of the flutter in your stomach, the heart beating as a pebble in your shoe that's there, but that you're able to move through anyway, mm-hmm. rather than going into sensory overload because you haven't regulated yourself and not being able to engage in this and then telling yourself all kinds of excuses about, well, this kind of stuff isn't for me. The cream will rise to the top. So I think it's more about working on ourselves to calm ourselves down yeah, rather it. than than anything bigger than that. I love it. Well, it is just a pebble in the shoe. And, you know, if I could say as we launch into these 12 strategies, Mike, that uh, we live in a world of sameness. It is hard to find a point of difference uh, in our businesses these days. And it would appear to me that creating hype in your business is actually a way of sticking your head above the trench and getting noticed. So listeners, take notice. Mike, your first strategy around creating hype is to make war, not love. This is in many ways the key strategy. I mean, the the rest of them don't really exist without this. What, What this is essentially saying is that, we touched on this before, it's that people are much more emotionally engaged around being against something as they are for being for something. So you you can say to somebody, you know, you go out with your product. We've all seen this. And this is why my product is great. This is why it's awesome. Okay. Another level up is what do, the, what do salespeople say now? Talk about um, benefits, not features, right? So, so the company Basecamp, that, that this is a project management tool that's very, very simple compared to most project management tools. It does like five things. So you could go out there and say, you know, Basecamp will make your life easier because it's simple and there's not as much ramp up time. All right, that's a little bit better, right? But what this company Basecamp did, um, you know, Jason Fried and, and um, David uh, Hanson Heinemeyer, they picked a fight with the entire work culture that we exist in now. So they didn't say, hey, we have a, a more simple tool. They said, the workaholism, the inefficiency, the um, counting hours instead of results, that's a broken system. The anti, this is like the opposite of Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, yes. fire your workaholics. They gave their team Fridays off. Why did they do that other than that they believe in this system? Well, they have a software that enables that kind of workflow. Salesforce makes your work life more complicated in a lot of ways. Basecamp makes it easy. So they don't even have to sell the tool. And if you look at the fans of Basecamp compared to the fans of Salesforce, fans of Salesforce are like, we like Salesforce because it's on the cloud. Before then, it was like Act, which wasn't on the cloud. And it does a lot of stuff so we can use it. 
when you talk to fans of Basecamp, it's like, I read WeWork, I read Rework 10 times, the book. I love those guys. This is my truck. They'll wear t-shirts with this. Well, thing. the book, the book Rework was was the guys at Basecamp's way of picking that fight, wasn't it? I mean, I That's thought it, it was a you know, and and you got to put that into context because that book came out, I'm gonna say 10 years ago. And That's right. it was it was it was just such a great book. I remember one chapter, and they were very short chapters. I think each chapter was right. like two pages, and one of the title, one chapter was called "Meetings Are Toxic," and it's like exactly. you can't say that. We all do meetings. Meetings are important. My day is full of meetings, and now you're telling me they're poisonous. Fire awesome. your workaholics. I mean, fire back your then, workaholics. The whole thing was they, people make it out like workaholic is a disorder. Back then, it was like. I'm a workaholic. It was like saying I'm a patriot. I mean, every every wanna... top executive is a workaholic. Now you've got Ariana Huffington having mm-hmm. hosting conferences on sleep. On sleep. But in <laughs> in many ways, that came from rework. You know, it was so clever. They picked a fight with the dominant work culture, and I, the I product shared, sold itself. As an aside, I shared a stage with Ariana at a conference in India. Now you want workaholics, then you know Indians that in that entrepreneurial yeah. level are workaholics. And here's Ariana talking about sleep. <laughs> it was like, and she was on, she was actually on the stage with some big guru from America, from India. You know, and like I mean, literally the guru in the orange robes and the tie deck and all that kind of stuff. So that was quite interesting. Um, interesting I actually before, have a telling tales out of school story about that. I know someone who produced that Thrive conference, which was all about oh. sleep and all of that. Wow. And she basically told me that to produce this conference about sleep, everyone was averaging three hours a night of sleep to, to meet her <laughs> demands for the conference. Oh, we love irony. <laughs> Tell me, before we, <laughs> yeah. move on from, before we move on from Make War Not Love, I noticed that in your Twitter profile, you call yourself a professional hater. Is this related yeah, but that's actually also an inside joke. This, this, um, there was this weird guy who started writing these. I don't even know who he is. His name was Jesse James, like the outlaw, and he, he started oh, yeah. writing these weird paragraphs about me on Twitter that were like, "You're a professional hater, man," and da 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 da. And so I reposted it, and and I got a ton of traction. Everyone thought it was hilarious, and I got a lot of publicity for that. So then I just started calling myself a professional hater. <laughs> I love it. Clearly, yeah. you like picking fights with guys like you know this that Jesse James and Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, taking it up to them because it goes to that kind of um, that old saying, and I'm not sure it's actually correct. Is that you know there's no such thing as bad publicity? I think there is. Yeah, it's but, not totally um, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny though because if you get to know me as a person, and I'm not just saying this. I'm mild mannered to a fault. Like I don't really love conflict. I, I I think it's like, I think it's that punk rock streak in me. I find it mischievous. You know, I find it fun to do that. But yeah. I also think it's just, you know, you can reverse engineer this stuff. To your earlier question, is this for a certain type of leader? I don't think so because I'm not that type of leader. I'm not mm-hmm. a I'm not a confrontational, aggressive kind of person. But yet. I've learned that this works and I've reframed it for myself. Oh, well, I'll see if I can stir your pot in the remainder of this interview and just see how relaxed you really are, Michael F. Shine. <laughs> relaxed is not the word. <laughs> that, that is not the word. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you're yeah. a New Yorker, so yeah, you're certainly not relaxed. Yeah. I'll, I'll find the, yeah. I'll find the uh, adjective by the end. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. We might have to rename the book to the slightly hyped handbook as opposed to the hype handbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me, the next, your next strategy is create your own secret society. What do you mean? Most people who don't really understand hype or marketing on a deep, deep level. Think that the key is building a grassroots following. Let's use social media as just one example. The idea that you have to build person by person this massive following. I'm not discounting that. That's valuable. You know, having a podcast like yours and slowly but surely building a following, that's valuable, right? But what you'll find is that the most sophisticated hype artists, and by hype artists, I mean the most sophisticated promoters of any kind, make it seem like all of their success is grassroots. But what they do is they spend a lot of time nurturing, not just relationships, but a core of well-placed people who always help each other. So people who have complementary skills, people who 
have big followings, you know, that they just have to say the word and they'll promote the thing for them. So, so um, an example I use in the book, that's one of my favorite stories. There's this, um, there was this guy named Edward Bernays. He was actually Sigmund Freud's nephew and he decided to use um, Freudian techniques, so to speak, for personal monetary gain. And he became known as the father of public relations. He actually created the term public relations. And one of the things he did, he basically got Americans to eat bacon for breakfast. So like eggs and bacon is now the quintessential stereotypical American breakfast meal. But before the 1920s, um, that was not the case. And um, Edward Bernays was hired by Beechnut, which at the time was one of the major pork producers in, in the country. And they wanted to up you know, bacon production. So Edward Bernays had this very strong relationship that he had nurtured over the years with this physician who was one of the most well-connected and well-respected physicians in the country. And, and so he got this physician to commission a quote-unquote study that said that bacon was the perfect <laughs> breakfast food health-wise because it replaces the energy that you lose during sleep. Right. So he sent this study out to 5,000 physicians. So before long, every doctor in America was recommending bacon. No advertising, nothing. He upped bacon uh, consumption, wow. you know. So the, the, the lesson here, I should say, is not that you should lie and fabricate studies. That's not the lesson. The lesson is that if you can nurture relationships with people behind the scenes and create this, I, I call it a secret society because people talk about the old boys network, but you can create your own old boys network. If you can manage to do that, it, it, it's just so powerful. It stops that floundering around constantly trying to, to just, build mm. hordes of followers from the from from the start from 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 scratch yeah mm. i like that who would have thought freud's nephew is yeah, the really interesting. godfather, the grandfather of public relations in the world. And I've got to thank him because, you know, I certainly didn't need a research study to be eating bacon for breakfast, but now that it it's confirmed that it is very good for me, I'll be certainly telling you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a study came out a couple of years ago that said that um, drinking 25 cups of coffee a day is healthy. And my first gut reaction was, oh, that's awesome because I love coffee, you know? And then I was like, I'd like to see who sponsored that study, That's right. right? Yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah, ch chocolate's full of, you know, all this goodness and yeah. red wine. All these studies, they find their way into out-of-secret societies into uh, other ones. And The, if the we more you learn it, about this stuff, the more you, you start to distrust. You That's know, these right. Kinds of yeah, things. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Strategy number three for creating hype is perfect your packaging. Michael, what do you mean by that? This is one of those, those strategies that seems obvious, but, it, but it's really not what it seems. So, I mean, we all know that packaging is important, like having the right wrapper for your product and your logo, but that's not what I mean by this. The, the, these students of propaganda, um, Aronson and Prakanis, have this great quote that the essence or prop, the essence of propaganda is a well-designed package. And what that means is once you figure out who you are and what your point of view is in a public way, you need to embody that in every single thing you do or show all of the time. It's not this thing like putting on a blazer when you go to the meeting. It's So Andy Warhol, for example, um, he was shy. He was pathologically shy. He was balding very early. He was um, he was gay at a time when when being gay was illegal, and he flipped each of those quote unquote weaknesses in in the lens of the time into strengths that embodied his persona. So he had that silver wig. He didn't wear you know a toupee, a boring toupee, or shave his head. He wore this glaring silver wig. He spoke in very terse, laconic sentences that people couldn't interpret. So part of the trick is turning your weaknesses into strengths. But more importantly, everything he did was designed to reinforce his core message about the artificiality of, of, of American life and about consumer consumption and things like that. So his, his wig was notably false. He had aluminum foil wrapping his place of work, a consumer product. He painted, um, you know, 
soup cans. Sweet and he used to say to people in moments of, of when he let his guard down, which was rare, he would say, it's sometimes such a pleasure to go home at night and take off my Andy suit. Uh, so you can't, you, you, I mean, this is, this is probably the hardest one to do because it's, it takes a lot of discipline. But if you look at any of the great public figures, they never let everything they do. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk, if he's shown on video, he's got his Jets memorabilia in the background. He always has a scruff. He has a ratty, you know, um, hoodie on because he's the common man. He was the yeah, guy yeah. who was, you know, was comparing wine packaging. to Skittles. That's his packaging. Let, let me get some clarity around this because I, uh, I don't want to have led our listeners down the path of hype being a one-off event necessarily. It could right. be. No. It could be the largest iced tea. It could be, um, you know, blending anything because you believe so much in your blenders. That's all hype and they're one-off events or viral videos. But what's yours like? Andy Warhol, his whole life was hype. Yeah, I mean, it's a function of do you want a career or do you want a, a, one successful moment? And both are valid. I mean, if you need to hype up an event, hype up an event, this stuff works. Mm. But you know, it's all it's the pandemic has shown us it's good to be recession proof. Yes. You know, <laughs> and 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 so I, I guess I'll leave it at that. Got it. Um, strategy number four, Mike, in the hype handbook is give the little babies their milk. <laughs> I like this chapter. It's funny, everyone loves this headline, and I, I can't even take credit for it. This is a phrase used by a lot of religions who, if you want to study getting large numbers of people emotional so that they'll take an action, study religions, right? They do that, especially new religions. There was this guy, Wallace D. Ford. He was the founder of the Nation of Islam, which eventually grew into a very formidable football force. Now, this is not Islam. This is the Nation of Islam, which was the movement that um, Malcolm X eventually left for traditional Islam. This was a... Uh, a religion that was conceived, yeah, I mean, it was made up in the 1930s, you know, by this guy. Came out of nowhere. He settled in a, uh, a an African-American neighborhood called um, Paradise Valley. It came out later. He wasn't actually black. He was, he was, uh, you know, of a, he just, he, he of like Turkish origin or something like that. But, but um, you know, he positioned himself that way and came into this poor neighborhood and um, he would dress, you would see him, he was very slender, kind of good looking, wore these really well cut suits. And he was a merchant of cloths from the, or scarves and fine linens from the East. And he would come into people's homes. Now this was a time when most Americans didn't know what Islam was, let alone African-Americans where the church was at the center of everything, right? It was not, it was before Muslim, you know, immigration to the United States in big numbers and that sort of thing. So this guy he would go to people's homes in the neighborhood under the pretext of selling them these, these beautiful scarves and he would talk to them and maybe make a few sales. And then because people were hospitable, they would offer him food or drink. And, and in that neighborhood at the time, it was usually pork because that, you know, at that time, especially African-American cuisine was largely pork-based and alcohol, right? Having well, and the research study was out from, from, from Freud's or Einstein's. <laughs> from Bernays, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> they, were all, they were all eating healthy. Well, this is actually, this shows you what a scumbag Edward Bernays was because um, Wallace Fard would say, no, you know, I, I, I don't eat pork or drink alcohol. And they would say, well, like, well you know, it's, it's, it's um, my belief system. And, the, and they would look at this guy and he was slender and they were probably a little overweight and unhealthy. So they would say, oh, you know, I will, uh, I'll try it. So they would drop weight like crazy and feel great. And then um, he'd come back and, and they'd be like, oh, what was that? And he goes, well, actually, it's, it's a part of my faith. Do you want to hear about it? So now if he would have come to them off of the street and said, listen, I belong to a faith where white people are literal devils created by a mad scientist named Yakub who created white people through genetic engineering to no, overthrow the original man. You know, that is so far from what people understood that we're wired to hate large change. Huge, dramatic change scares people off, but you can ease people into sin. So you wouldn't give a baby a steak. You give them milk, then you give them whatever, ground up bananas, then you give them ground up beef, then you give them solid beef, right? And religions preach this all the time. So, so the business lesson here is if you're trying to introduce something that's truly new, not something that is really good, but is like other things, that you want to... 
You know, Tony Robbins, to use him, he, he's not selling anything truly new. He's selling positive thinking. So he needs to be over the top and lights and colors and flash and panache. But if you have an idea that's truly challenging, a new product that's really unusual, a new way of thinking that's really, really, that you can honestly look at yourself and say that it could change the world, but it'll scare people off, you slowly introduce it. In Start slow. Yeah, slowly I like that. Slowly. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said, and the business lesson here is, Michael, because <laughs> some of these sort of catchy headlines or catchy chapter titles in your book could lead you down the path of negativity and go, oh, but yeah, but this is illegal or, you know, this is right, not morally right. right. But you, exactly. w- what you're doing is you are hyping up. I know exactly what you're doing. I'm watching you from behind the scenes is you're hyping up, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the theory that we as business owners can apply uh, genuinely with good moral that live within inside our values paradigm without actually breaking the law. So there are business lessons to be learned from, from these charlatans and from these crooks. My, my thing is that if you can sell garbage and if you can actually honestly dissect what these people have done and find psychological lessons that can be applied without deceiving and without harming people. Imagine what you can do to sell stuff where there's actually substance. Mm. Totally agree with that. Well, let's keep moving. Uh, Strategy, um, what are we up? Number five, become a trickster. (laughs) (laughs) More illegal activity. Well, no, this is really interesting. And, and, you know, so there is a figure in almost every mythology in the world from Native American mythology to ancient Greek mythology there's a fi- to, to, the most famous one is Loki because of the Avenger movies, the Marvel movies. <laughs> he was the trickster god. It's it's a trickster deity, <clears throat> and the trickster was not immoral. That's what people don't understand. The trickster was amoral. So the trickster is usually a god who's weaker than the other gods. Yeah, and they usually use mischief, you know, and 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 get people in, and get themselves in trouble and get people in trouble. But what's ironic is they're usually also the god of art. So typically their their mischief creates music, creates art. So so it's this idea that mythologies have long understood that doing things the straight ahead way doesn't add to creativity. It's doing things the 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 the, the, the you know the sort of tr- the trickster way. So The idea here is that when you're starting out and when you don't have resources, the idea isn't to lie, cheat, and steal. It's to add color to the world through what I call benevolent mischief, right? So an example is the Blair Witch Project, if if you remember that. Awesome. And and this was- They totally got me. They totally, totally, totally got me. But, you know, the movie was fine. It was a fine movie. But that was a perfect example where the movie itself, if they had that come out with a normal marketing campaign instead of, oh my gosh, you know, this thing came out on the internet. We're not sure if it's real. There's lost footage. That was part of the art. So they tricked you. They they performed this mischievous thing, but it added color to your life and it promoted it. Was an, so, it was just a great marketing. I was watching that film and right. for those who don't remember it, well, I'm guessing yeah. most of my audience will, but I was watching, I still remember watching it for the first time and going, I can't believe this is real. I cannot believe this is real. This is real. And it was like, you know, there was a point where I'd gone, okay, I've been, I've been sucked in here, happily sucked in because well, it was happily, just, right? it was yeah. all part of the journey. The journey started well before I sat down to watch the film. It was, it's a very, very clever marketing campaign. Okay, become a trickster. Your, your sixth strategy is become a magus. What is a magus? Have I said that correctly? You know, I, I always say, I say it a different way every time I say it. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but it's funny. So the word magician comes from this. Um, and and it's, it's also like, um, you know, in the nativity story, the, the, the three, um, the gift of the magi or magi, whatever it is, right? But it was actually an ethnic group in, in um, ancient Persia. So before the Persians took over, they were Medes and they were this, they were the um, ethnic or like the subgroup that were the fortune tellers. And they would cast, you know, animal bones and this and that and make these predictions about the battles and they had amulets and robes and chants and they were considered so important and and then at one point their prediction was false and they um i don't know the persians took over and you would think they would have been thrown on the on the on the 
slaughter pile like everyone mm-hmm. else, but the Persians kept them around. And, and so there's a couple things here. People are attracted to larger than life figures who have this air of mystery about them, right? And it used to be amulets and animal bones and tea leaves, but now it can be Nate Silver with his charts and figures and his, you know, predictions based on big data. Half his predictions are, are wrong. I mean, you know, but but yet we continue to go back to him. It's 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 the doctor in the white coat. It's it's Thomas Edison, the wizard of Menlo Street. And Edison is a great example because this goes back to the weaknesses and to strengths. If you're Richard Branson and you have the stomach for going across the Atlantic in a hot air balloon, by all means do that. Because Richard Branson, yeah, we love his businesses, but we also love Richard Branson. And people are attracted to someone who can do larger than life things. Mm-hmm. But what most of us can do is take our weaknesses and flip them into strengths. So Thomas Edison, you know, we think of him as the inventor of the modern world. And, and he was certainly a good inventor, but he wasn't as good as what people think. He did not invent electric light. Hmm. He invented the long burning light bulb, but his type of current could only light an area as big as um, like lower Manhattan. It took Westinghouse and Tesla to, to fix that. Mm-hmm. He um, certainly didn't invent the movie camera. He was off do- testing mining equipment when one of his subordinates was doing that. But what he did do very well is he presented himself as this guy who was working for humanity around the clock. So the thing about Edison was he was very, um, he wasn't good with people. You know, he was partially deaf and um, he was just kind of cantankerous. You know, he didn't really deal well with people. But he knew he needed to raise money. He needed to be a, a promoter. So what he did was he took that negative and turned it into a positive. So he would um, plant stories in the press that people came upon him in his laboratory working asleep at his desk at two in the morning. And they'd say, Mr. Edison, you should go home. And he would say, oh, yeah, it is my you know wedding night. I probably should. Or he installed a punch clock in his office, not for his employees, but for himself. And he would make sure the press would be there. So he basically created this image of this guy who worked 24-7 enlightening humanity. And he did that to hide the fact that he wasn't a good people person. So, so what I actually tell clients to do is list, you know, the strengths are easy. List all of your insecurities, all of your weaknesses, because that's the stuff that's unique. That's the quirky stuff. And then say, what's the flip side of that? That's mm-hmm. how you turn yourself into this magician, this larger-than-life character. It works really well, actually. Are you then suggesting that business owners become someone or something that they're not? No, no, not at all. Because Thomas Edison did work around the clock. But the reason he worked around the clock was because he didn't, he didn't want like to, to socialize. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, for ex- I'll give you an example uh, in my own small way, you know, and not not comparing myself to Thomas Edison. But when I just, you know, decided I wanted to start a business, I was seriously under the impression that to be a good leader and a good business person, you had to be a command and control kind of kind of guy. And and I think that's not true, but I I, I still, you know, I, I, um, I have insecurity and weakness. You know, I tend to, um, I take too long to fire people, even if they're not doing a good job because I, um, grow to like them as friends, you know, I, um, gosh, I, 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 I get chatty on topics that have nothing to, to do with business, <laughs> even though when people want me to get to the point. So all of those are things I used to hide and be insecure about. And then I said, okay, what's the flip side of that? Well, powerful people often want to take me under their wing and help me out. That's just something that's always been the case. Well, hold on a minute. Create your own secret society. That method is an extension of that. I developed that principle out of the fact that I'm very good at working behind the scenes to generate the kind of friendships that will spread my message. Now, that used to be something I was insecure about and I would minimize and I wouldn't talk about. So it's the opposite of pretending. You're you're embracing that. that, You're uh, embracing, yeah. And and you're promoting it as a strength instead of a weakness to be minimized. Yeah, I love it. Michael, we've got six strategies left. We don't have the the studio time, unfortunately. Normally podcasting, you know, you just go forever until we cover what we need to do. But studio time is limited. I'm going to choose two. And the reality is sure. um, I'm going to encourage all my listeners to read the Hype Handbook because it's it's just a good read. It's fun. Yeah. It's full of stories. It's full of moments where you go, what? Really? <laughs> and you become a lot smarter as a consumer 
both as a consumer and as a marketer slash business owner. So the the strategies that we don't cover, you will pick up in the Hype Handbook and I'll put a link in the show notes over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. I'm going to choose two more, Michael, because they interest me. One is fetishize, I can't even say this word, fetishize work, master effortless doing. Can you say that correctly for me? I'll try. Uh, fetishized work, master effortless doing. That's right. What you're you're having the American uh, try to speak proper English. I don't know if that's really uh, uh, that's a smart idea. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What do you mean by this? We've actually discussed this already. You know, so so you know, so Gary Vaynerchuk fetishizes work, right? He um, it boggled my mind. I didn't understand why this guy was constantly screaming at people to work around the clock. Like, it's good advice to work hard. Okay. But we all know that, right? I mean, most people who are watching entrepreneurial podcasts understand that they need to work hard. So why does this guy spend 60% of his time telling people to work like a dog? And I believe he inherently understands what cults have understood forever. So think about the dynamics. So like the Moonies, you know, the, the universal church, they have people work for free evangelizing their their religion like 60 hours a week, right? There's this uh, cult leader from the many years ago named Gurdjieff who used to have celebrities come to his compound and dig holes to nowhere, right? <laughs> the idea is, other than the fact that that's a great way to spread your religion for free or your product, if you, let's say you've for th- a year worked 60 hours a week on behalf of of a cause or because Gary Vaynerchuk told you it's the secret to business salvation. And then you start to have doubts about old Gary or about the Moonies. There's a thing called cognitive dissonance. So either you can say, I just wasted a year of my life and I'm an idiot. Or you can justify and double down on how wonderful Gary is or the Reverend Sung Young Moon. Fetishizing work is a really good way to bond people Mm -hmm. to you. Now, again, what's the business lesson here? Is it to yell at people to work like a dog for free? Uh, okay. I mean, maybe. But there are other ways to do this. So there's a um, a program called Strategic Coach, which, you know, it was funny. I was like busting my hump doing these client programs for customers and we for clients. And we would do awesome work. And then sometimes after three months, all of the awesome results we got would become the new benchmark. And they would call us up and be like, what else are you doing for us? You know, why didn't I get a 700% uptick this week? And that's their right, but it's, it's, you know, it's tough. And then I would go to strategic coach. You pay them a huge amount of money to go there four times a year. You sit in a room. And by the way, this program changed my life. So I'm not bashing them, but you go there four times a year, you learn lessons that are customized, but that are for a classroom and they give you tools and then you go away and use them for three months and half the class doesn't use them, even though they're paying this money. And then they go to the coach. The coach says, did you use the tools? Oh, you know, I really should have, uh, I didn't use it enough. They're apologizing. They paid the money. And now, and now the coach is like, oh, you know, progress, not perfection. You'll get there next time. And if you can create a dynamic where you're teaching and making people do the work, they'll try to prove themselves to you. It's like a seduction. <laughs> yeah, but if yeah, you yeah. put yourself in a position where you're doing the work for them, it's thankless. You can never do enough. Yeah, It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, I love it. Got it. All right. And the last- uh, And, and uh, the uh, master, master effortless doing, that's just the, the, the self-regulation that we talked about. Make it look easy. The last one I'm going to choose oh, yeah. is um, embrace theater and drama. Uh, tell us what you mean by this, but I also think it's a it's a it's an area of marketing and promoting of one's business that not enough business owners do. You know, we love the as consumers, as human beings, we love theatre, we love drama. So why not inject that into the way you promote your brand? Yeah, I mean, there, there's the obvious use of drama, right? That that we all know is successful. I mean, some good examples of this are Tony Robbins, Amway. I mean, you go to an Amway. Uh, rally. I mean, they're, they're ostensibly selling mouthwash and, and, and soap, but it's like a rock concert. I mean, there's lights, there's sound, there's staging. Well, you, there's you go chance. to a Steve, you know, you, you know? Go, what about Steve yeah. Jobs presentations when he was That's launching similar. a new product? But, you know, we can't all do that, especially in the beginning. But, you know, the original theater in ancient Greece was not 
that kind of theater. It was just a bunch of people talking with masks. But what they understood was theatricality, meaning tension and release, you know, drama, not giving everything up. So, so for example, there's kind of this common business knowledge now that you should always put a call to action on every single thing. Like, why would you put something up that doesn't have your hashtag or www whatever or you know, now just a link to somewhere. And yeah, sometimes, right? But I think we overuse that and we take the mystique out. So I give this example. Um, there was a magazine in the 70s called Punk Magazine. It was a, a, a commercial enterprise, a magazine. And actually the, the music genre came from that magazine because they covered that kind of music. But at the time, before that music, that magazine came out, what punk meant was like a dirty punk, like, you know, you punk, right? And it wasn't a type of music. It wasn't a type of art. So on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, people started to notice these signs that were up. And they just said, punk is coming. Nothing else. All over the place. Punk is coming. And actually, the original uh, meaning of punk was, was like the submissive partner in a certain type of prison relationship. Oh. Right. So it can be a very <laughs> filthy word. It can mean a lot of things. So people would see this sign, and this was a very bad neighborhood, and punk is coming, punk is coming. They're like, what is it? Punk is coming. Like, what is punk? This is, and it kind of was subversive. And what is mm. this? Punk is coming, punk is coming, punk is coming. And this went on for months. And then the magazine was released. And it was like, there was all this tension about what is punk? What is this? Like a- and the magazine, <sighs> and it relieved the tension, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah. So, so we're always trying to just put out these calls to action. Sometimes the, the mystery, leaving something out, and satisfying that later is really, really important. And we just forget that all the time. Gee, that's really interesting. A great, uh, a great case study that you give there. But also, um, up until now, I've often said that, you know, uh, without a call to action, a piece of marketing is art. But, and, and maybe it is. And maybe that's okay. Because, you know, your punk is coming is sort of a piece of art. It's just probably, you know, I'm, there's probably people with that poster in their living room, you know, as a, in, in a framed, as a framed print. But um, it was art. But, you know, I, I think there's a way to think about it. I think you can think of, I'm going to add to what you said about the call to action because you're not wrong. It's about your time horizon. You eventually want a call to action. Yeah. But... And and if you just put out two pieces of content and they never see another one, that's useless. But, you know, there's that old theater saying that if a gun, what, what is Chekhov, if you see a gun in the first act, it has to be fired in the third act. You know what I mean? Uh. Theater is about tension and release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if it's all release, then there's no tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Michael, what a great conversation. And now you've got a business as a result of the Hype Handbook. That You've, you've got an agency that creates hype for yep. people, which people can I find do. at microfamemedia.com. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm interested um, as, as now an author, I'm assuming it's your first book, but has it been a great uh, tool to market your business? You got an endless stream of clients as a result of the Hype Handbook? Yeah, it's it's been great. I mean, it's mm. funny because... Um, I was a writer first and always thought of myself that way, but I got so um, into my business and that became my way of making a living that when I decided to write the book, my original impetus was, you know, a book would be a great way to establish my authority and, and, and this and that and get more clients. But I got so obsessed with the topic that I really approached it like a book. I mean, I just got so heavy into it. So it's, I, I almost forgot why I was doing it. So now that we've seen this growth in the business as a result, it, it almost feels like like an added bonus. Oh, it's awesome. Well, well done, buddy. And for those who are wondering what the other four strategies are, I'll tell you what they are. You won't, They won't make sense, but find, avoid, and fill it. Make it scientific. Embrace, uh, not embrace, prayers, spells, and symbols, and set down a rock for your followers to cling to. Great copywriting. <laughs> Uh, a great yeah. book, and and thank you for sharing, Michael F. Shine of the Hype Handbook. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Well, there you go, team. Michael F. Shine, author of the Hype Handbook. I'll put a link over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 555 um, to buy that book. Really, it's it's a fun read and it's a very, very valuable read if you are a business owner and I'm pretty sure you are, or a marketer. Here's what grabbed my attention from that chat with Michael. Attention grabber number one. 
First and foremost, I love the whole concept of hype marketing. You know, in a world where there's just not enough risque marketing, in my humble opinion, it's pretty refreshing to see businesses and people like Michael having a crack at truly standing out from the crowd. And that's not easy. Read his book and it'll become easier. Attention grabber number two. I love Michael's theory that people form tribes around things they're opposed to or against. And what a great way to demonstrate this than by challenging the great Gary Vaynerchuk on his over-the-top work ethic. Very interesting story, that one. And a very happy ending. Attention grabber number three. I actually love the title of Michael's book, The Hype Handbook. With the tagline, 12 indispensable success secrets from the world's greatest propagandists, self-promoters, cult leaders, mischief makers, and boundary breakers. Anyone would think, you know, if you didn't know him, he's a bit of a hype artist. Hey, that's what grabbed my attention. Write down this number and call me after the show because I'd love to hear what grabbed your attention or just what marketing's working for you. The number is plus six one for overseas listeners outside of Australia, 480 and listener Luke did just that. Hey, Timbo, it's Luke from 3D Cast. Mate, I just wanted to drop you a quick message that from every podcast I am learning something. The list is far too long, but two items for me that have stood out so far are that's okay to have a niche market. I just have to do it well by offering something a bit different and provide that fantastic customer experience. And also, I've used the SEO tips given in the podcast I have seen a major increase of traffic to my website, 3dcast.com.au. I'm now on my way of turning my 3D printing and 3D drafting side hustle into a full-time hustle thanks to your podcast. Keep that marketing gold coming, Timbo. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much, Luke, for making the time to ring the hotline and leave that message. So glad you're getting value from the show. That search engine optimization episode with Harry Sanders of Studio Hawk was huge. I'll put a link over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 555. Harry offers a couple of great deals to small business big marketing listeners. He happens to be the world's best SEO expert as awarded by SEM Rush only recently, so worth listening to. Hey, and um, Luke, thank you for your monster prize draw draw entry, buddy. Um, That segment is no longer. I just wasn't getting the entries. People didn't want to win, you know, over $1,000 worth of prizes each week. So it's been replaced with the hotline. But thank you for entering anyway, young Luke. Next episode, we are talking sex toys. What? Well, at least we're talking with the founder of sextoy.com.au, who, as a result of turning that domain into a successful e-commerce business, he's gone on to launch a business that helps product-based businesses sell on the multitude of marketplaces now available online. Um, It's an interview that really opened my mind up. We have a bit of fun with the whole sex toy um, story because it did get him started, but the whole concept of selling on all the marketplaces online – Very, very interesting. Hey, speaking of things that bring a lot of pleasure, boom, boom, uh, be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. That was a terrible segue, Timbo. I'd love to hear what marketing is working for you, so call the Small Business Big Marketing hotline. Not next week. Do it now. 0480-015-150. I would love, 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 love to hear from you. And if you're loving the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast, which if you've got this far, I'm guessing you are loving it, then you'll find 554 more episodes on your favourite podcast app. This podcast was presented by me for the past 12 years. I'm Timbo Reed. The music bed was written, sung and produced by the legendary Lockie Dolly and sharpened up to with an inch of its life by producer Dave Zlowenski. Until next time, team, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the absolute best marketing. Bye for now.